June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This is Ion Veterans Weekend, a roundup of the week's most important stories affecting those who served. Presented by University of Maryland Global Campus. There are nearly 20 million, 20 million military, military veterans, veterans in, in the U.S. Each week, we focus on their stories. Powered by ConnectingVets.com. This, this is CBS Eye on Veterans. Eye on Veterans. Welcome to another edition of CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Eye on Veterans is a weekly program focused on the men and women who have served our nation in uniform and their families. We're powered by ConnectingVets.com. Always a great place to find military news, veteran news, resources, and stories about the veteran lifestyle. We know because we're vets ourselves. Now, we got quite an exciting hour for you today, and in fact, it has the potential to change your life. If you've always dreamed of starting your own business, we'll talk to a business banking expert and director of a veteran entrepreneurship that has words you need to hear. It's a program that helps tackle this challenge of access to capital, and we do that through, one is educate, second is prepare, and then the third is invest. And we'll hear why the words you are hearing about PTSD therapy can be highly misleading. That doesn't mean that for PTSD, the treatments that we have the most evidence for should not be uh, delivered as first line. That's all ahead this hour on CBS Eye on Veterans. Now, every year in Washington, D.C., veterans get a chance to stand in front of lawmakers and make some noise about what we need in the veteran community and ensure that they're fighting for us. This week, about 30 veterans came to Washington as part of the Wounded Warrior Project's Operation Advocacy. I recently spoke with a Marine combat vet, a communications strategist, and the director of communications for the Wounded Warrior Project, Mr. Joe Plensler, and asked him what was on this week's game plan. One thing that's important for people to remember is that when we send young Americans off to fight our nation's battles and they come home wounded, injured, or ill, you know, our nation has a moral responsibility to help make them as whole as possible and help them, you know, recover from their, their injuries and wounds and, and live life on their own terms. So that's kind of what this is all about. And one of the ways we do that is by engaging members of Congress, uh, especially with the House and Senate Veterans Affairs Committees, to um, link them up with the veterans who are impacted by the VA's policies and explain what's working and what's not working and what can be improved. The first one let's talk a little bit about is toxic exposure. It's kind of a new word in our lexicon, but share with me what you guys are looking to achieve with respect to toxic exposure. Sure. Yeah. Toxic exposure essentially is what many are considering the Agent Orange of this post-9-11 generation of of veterans. And so for thousands of us who have have served, um, exposure to environmental and chemical hazards such as burn pits, uh, depleted uranium, toxic fragments. Uh, And so what we're going after is... uh, 
Wounded Warrior Project has led the creation of a coalition of about 24 total veteran service organizations and expert groups. And so this is underneath the, the, um, the name, the team, the Toxic Exposures in the American Military Coalition. And so what this group is aiming to do is get after comprehensive legislation to help those um, service members who have been made ill through their service. Let's talk quickly just about some of the illnesses we're seeing, because I just spoke uh, not too long ago with the Wounded Warrior Project's Derek Fronebarger, and right. uh, we chatted a little bit about this, and I was taken with some of the some of the things they have are as minimal as asthma, but then some of these exposures have led to some really grave diseases. Absolutely, yeah. We've seen um, you know, reports from, from different veterans that uh, they've presented with uh, strange cancers that, you know, fairly rare cancers that that young vets shouldn't be presenting with. Um, we've seen clusters of those cancers within different groups, uh, different units. Um, you know, McClatchy's been doing some really incredible reporting uh, about the veterans who were stationed over at the K2 base over in Uzbekistan, if you've been following that recently. You know, some of the leftover radiological and chemical um, weapons that the Soviets had out there um, that people believe had impacted the health of the, the service members who were stationed there. So um, it's everything from that to... Um, you know, tainted drinking water on military bases to depleted uranium, you know, exposure on the battlefield, burn pits certainly, you know, is, is the one that I think most people think of most frequently. Um, so, yeah, we're looking at all of it. And that's, that's I think, what, why it's important to get after comprehensive legislation so that you uh, create the mechanisms so that all these veterans can get health care. And that's one of the buzzwords I like to kind of define so our eyes don't just glaze over. But rather, when we say comprehensive legislation, you're talking about saying, hey, Let's make a law that says if you suffer from X, Y, or Z, you are automatically eligible for benefits and a disability rating from the VA. Yeah, what we're advocating is that, that the VA provide access to health care at their facilities for toxic exposure-related illnesses. And I noticed some that might sound like, oh, well, uh, don't they already do that? I mean, that would be what the VA does. But uh, we waited how many decades to watch Vietnam veterans who were near Agent Orange on ships or were downwind from it during the Vietnam conflict, we watched them wait 30, 40 years to even become eligible for treatment. Sure. Yeah, and this issue is a little bit more complex because at least with Agent Orange, you know, scientists could get that chemical and test it to see what it does to, to life, right? With burn pits, it's much more complicated because each one was different and each one had different things burning in it at different times. So, you know, this is a little bit harder to get after in that regard. But essentially, if, you're, if veterans are presenting with a certain set of, of ailments, you know, we would hope that they would be able to get treatment for that at uh, VA facilities. And that's why I'm glad you guys are doing your due diligence to get them to put this down in the form of a law, because we don't want to have to wait another 40 years to get something passed just in order to get guys treatment, you know, in their seventies or eighties. Uh, you know, we want this up and running now. So I'm glad sure. you guys are on the front lines of toxic exposure. Also on the front lines of mental health. And mm -hmm. uh, you're advocating that Congress should move on bill 2661 and HR 4194, uh, establishing essentially a national suicide prevention and mental health crisis hotline. Talk to me about what specifically you want Congress to do with mental health. That's right. Yeah. I mean, globally, what we're looking at across the mental health issues is improving the quality of care that, that veterans receive for mental health issues and also reduce, reducing barriers to care, things like stigma, um, you know, scheduling hours and things like that. So I think one thing that we're looking at is, um, 
is supporting uh, Senate Bill 785, which is the Commander John Scott Hannon Veterans Mental Health Care Improvement Act of 2020. And what this would do is would be create new programs uh, to extend the VA's reach into the community and expand programming through nonprofits and, and really improving upstream interventions. We're also looking at um, more research for mental health, right? So precision medicine is one of the areas that we're investing in, and that's to foster uh, further research and collaboration on biomarkers for PTSD and also traumatic brain injuries. So these are two of the most prevalent um, mental health challenges for the post-9-11 wounded warrior cohort. And also on the, on the um, line of DOD and VA collaboration to improve alignment between both agencies on mental health research and transition programs. So we're looking at both clinical and non-clinical mental health initiatives along those lines. But but your point, like um, with the National Suicide Hotline Designation Act, absolutely. What we're looking at is creating 988 as uh, the National Suicide Prevention Mental Crisis Line and hopefully by simplifying the way to get to care. You know, just like when somebody has an accident, they call 911. If, if someone's having a mental health crisis, then they can call 988 and be patched into the, the appropriate people. Where are we with ensuring this gets done in this legislative session? Do you have commitments from senators and congressmen that says these bills will pass? Or is this the kind of fight that just needs to go on every year, every week, every day, every month? Yeah, I think, you know, the thing to keep in mind is it's important for, you know, this generation of veterans to advocate for their needs. So, you know, for uh, the older generations, there's been more legacy groups that have kind of carried that burden. Um, And you've you're well aware of, of some of the landmark legislation that they passed, but um, really what we're hoping to do is really rally uh, this generation of veterans around uh, the issues that, that matter most to them. You know, we really try to work um, both sides of the aisle in a very nonpartisan manner. So I think veterans affairs are best served when um, everyone kind of meets in the middle and does what's right for our, our men and women in uniform and for our, our 20 million veterans across the United States. So, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I'll leave it up to each individual to kind of decide whether their reps are, are doing enough in those regards. That's, that's not our call to make. But we do typically see greater bipartisan cooperation and support from the House and Senate Veterans Affairs Committee. So that's, you know, one of the, one of the shining examples of how both sides of the aisle can come together to do what's right for America's veterans. You can find out more about what they're doing in D.C. and ways you can donate at WoundedWarriorProject.org. And we'll be back with more after this. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now our next guest has something to say about PTSD research. In fact, she thinks that some of the recent reports are doing a disservice to our veterans who may be suffering from some post-traumatic stress. So let's introduce Casey Kelly, the Deputy Director of the Military Service Initiative for the George W. Bush Presidential Center. Casey, how are you? Hi, good morning, Phil. I'm well, thank you. Now, I couldn't help but notice your op-ed recently, and we were just talking about PTSD research uh, with respect to the way they treat it and the way there's this prolonged exposure therapy and the way there's these therapies that make you confront some of your worst nightmares. And that's why I found your piece so interesting. You said that despite the reporting, they're not telling the whole story. Yes. Well, at the Bush Institute, our Warrior Wellness Alliance aims to connect more veterans to high-quality care for the invisible wounds when they need it. We know that while we, we have a lot of work to do related to 
um, helping more veterans benefit from treatment. Um, we also know that many veterans do benefit from trauma-focused treatment, such as cognitive processing therapy, prolonged exposure, and EMDR. Um, and so what I was frustrated with in the recent reports that came out looking at what, what we know about effective treatment was that it, it, while, it, while the research highlighted that we need to learn more and we need to absolutely develop more innovative approaches, it, it, missed, it missed the mark when it did not recognize that we already have existing treatments that should be delivered as first line. Yeah, let me stop you right there, and I'll share with the listeners a little bit about what we're discussing here. Um, a study conducted by researchers from the New York University Grossman School of Medicine summarized its findings of recently conducted first-line treatments. One's called prolonged exposure therapy, and one's called cognitive processing therapy, and it said the results of those types of therapies are not promising. In fact, it said that in trials, only 31% of patients recovered or even improved. Well, what I was expecting the authors to conclude is that we know that not all veterans respond to these treatments, but we also know that many veterans do, and we, we have built years of literature um, that supports that of the treatment options that we have available today, we have the most evidence um, to support prolonged exposure and cognitive processing therapy. Um, what I was expecting the, the authors to conclude is, uh, is to take a stance that we need to identify new, better options for those veterans that are not responding to these first-line treatments. So, for example, in our own Team 43 um, um, members at the Bush Institute, we have a, a story from Andrew Coughlin that I included in my piece where he did not respond initially to cognitive processing therapy. Um, and he went on to try EMDR. And because we, we know that mental, mental well-being is not a one-and-done um, type of experience, it's, it's much like you would think about cancer treatment um, in that sometimes the first-line treatment for cancer doesn't work and we have to try other treatment options. That doesn't mean that for PTSD, um, the treatments that we have the most evidence for should not be tried, um, um, should not be uh, delivered as first line. Let's unpack a little bit of that case example you gave in your article, because I liked it. Um, you'd said that Andrew had tried the prolonged exposure therapy and the cognitive processing therapy. Let's dumb that down really quick first. Prolonged exposure and CPT are both based um, around the notion that you you have to face some of the the most traumatic experiences that are sort of hallmark of of post traumatic stress. And what happens sometimes when people experience a traumatic event, they 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 try to stuff that event. They try to do everything that they can to avoid it and to forget it. And dealing with that traumatic event, the therapies help the person um, develop healthier tactics for um, accepting that that event happened so that it doesn't block you from recovering from it. All right. So that said, that's what we've been doing for years and years and years, and it's not always the most effective. What happened in Andrew's case? Well, he actually tried another trauma-focused treatment, um, again, in the safety of uh, a doctor's care um, that, 
that did work for him and helped him to really understand all of the the negative um, and unhealthy ways that he had coped with his traumatic experiences in the past and really helped him um, work through that and um, and now is in a position where he is thriving um, and he's actually helping other people through telling his story as well as through participating in our team 43 he's helping other people to to know that um, treatments do work um, that sometimes it's it takes more than one attempt and that you can recover and you can go on to to thrive. Specifically, what did he try that worked for him that was different than the PE or the CPT therapy? So Andrew tried a trauma-focused therapy called EMDR, eye movement desensitization. It's also a trauma-focused therapy. The research behind EMDR is that it provides almost like a distraction so that you're not so focused on um, re-experiencing the traumatic event. And one of the things that Andrew tried, you know, I think is an innovative approach for um, how people are building upon the science is he actually participated in an intensive outpatient program for three weeks. The one that he participated in is the Marcus Institute for Brain Health that is part of our Warrior Wellness Alliance at the Bush Institute. These IOPs, um, as, as they are abbreviated, um, are two to three week programs where you basically get a high dose of treatment um, over the course of your stay. Um, and so many times these trauma-focused treatments are delivered in an outpatient uh, form, um, but when those don't work, sometimes people need um, a more intensive dosage, if you will, of treatments. And so Andrew, over the course of a of a three-week period, received probably 100 hours of, of treatment um, in just a short period of time. These IOPs, such as the Marcus Institute for Brain Health or the Wounded Warrior Projects or your care network, um, have been funded almost exclusively by philanthropy, and they are showing tremendous outcomes and significantly lower dropout rates. Yeah, uh, you're totally right. Uh, a lot of vets find that the traditional therapies either didn't work or they can't get them frequently enough at the VA. They got their appointments spaced out over months at a time um, and they quit. And that's what we do not want to encourage. We want to show that there's hope. I think the, the, the biggest message that we want to send is that quality care for the invisible wounds of war is available and we need to do a better job of helping veterans navigate that quality care. And of course, a lot of those programs are available through the collaborations with your organization. Where can vets go to find out more information about the programs and the things that the President Bush Center is involved with? Sure. You can go to bushcenter.org slash dub dub a for Warrior Wellness Alliance. Um, You can also follow me on Twitter. Um, I am often um, talking about quality research, quality care for the invisible wounds. Um, and we, we should also acknowledge that, you know, while we're focused on veterans today, you know, quality mental health care across the United States is challenging to navigate towards. Um, but my hope is through the Warrior Wellness Alliance, veterans are actually going to lead some of the transformative needs that we have in mental health care in this country. We know that when veterans um, recover from the challenges that they face, 
that they want to go on and lead in their communities around the country. And when we have strong veteran communities in our country, we have strong communities overall. And at the Bush Institute, we, we believe in helping veterans successfully transition from their military life so that they can go on to continue to lead and serve their country after they've taken off the uniform. And with that, I couldn't agree more. Casey Kelly, just a pleasure talking to you about this. And you're so right. Yeah, the invisible wounds of war. I mean, trauma and drama are not unique to the warfighter. Everybody, nobody makes it out of this world without some dents and some dings. And I can't thank you enough for the work you're doing down there with the Bush Institute. Always appreciate talking to you. Thank you so very much. Now, when we return, we'll look at resources available for veterans that want to start their own business. That's next on CBS Eye on Veterans. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now, I want you to stay with us for the rest of this hour, because what we're about to discuss will probably change your life. And and I don't use that lightly. All right. I'm not talking about just entertaining you or inspiring you, although both of those are my goals with this program almost every day. But in the next 20 minutes, I want to help you take a step forward to owning your own business and quite possibly change your life and the life of your kids or even your grandkids. Now, let's start by saying starting a business is one of the greatest things you can do as an American, as a taxpayer, as a citizen, and as a veteran. But here's what you don't know. As a veteran, you already have access to some incredible resources that put you a step ahead of the pack to getting the capital you need to start a business. And bring in our guest, Seda Goff, the Director of Veteran Entrepreneurship at PenFed Credit Union. Seda, how are you? Good, good. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here because I want to begin by showcasing um, that anyone dreaming of starting their own business can do it. And your background, what PenFed provides and offers and the resources that vets have available, you're going to help us unlock. And I wanted to start with an article I saw of yours that puts this kind of in context, shows how real starting a veteran business is. And it begins with something as simple as the ring on your finger. Tell me about the, sto- the story of Murray Goff. So, um, so the ring is my engagement ring. And uh, Murray Goff is my grandfather-in-law. And my grandfather-in-law, after returning from World War II, where he served on the Army Air Corps, uh, came back and wanted to learn how to be a watchmaker. And then learned how to do that and used the GI Bill to learn how to do that. And, um, and through his process wanted to open a jewelry store. so And watchmaking at the time was important because... It was one of the big pieces of jewelry that men uh, kept. And you know what? We didn't have iPhones, so people wore Uh. watches to to keep time and make sure they were getting to where they needed to be. Um, And interesting side note, too, uh, machinery. Like, things ran mechanically. So if something had to do a process or some kind of, whether it was a cow milking machine or whether it was like something else, anything that was timed exactly needed a guy like a watchmaker to do it, which is just a kind of a sweet sort of nostalgic thing of the 1940s. That's awesome. Exactly. And, and so, you know, he wanted to start a business and he went to, you know, some family for money and they, they said, no, are you crazy? You, you... Yeah, because he wasn't rich, right? No, I mean... not at all. And he was just, he had a brand new bride and a burgeoning family. So, you know, a growing family. So he, um, he went to the SBA 
And he applied for a loan. And it was Small Business Administration. Small Business Administration. The same one that exists today. Correct. And he went, you know, physically went to the SBA location in New York. Um, it brought his wife with him. It was a really rainy day. And and this figures in in a second. And he <laughs> it was on this rainy day that he went in and he applied for the loan. He had his interview and they gave him a $15,000 check. Now, understand $15,000 then is the same as like $150,000 now. So he thought they made a mistake. That he was so afraid that um, that he, he needed to get out of there with his check, and he had never seen this much money in his life, let alone hold it. And he walked out, and it was raining. And as soon as they walked outside, they realized they left their umbrella back at the office. And they um, they were like, you know what? Forget the umbrella. If we go back, they might take the check back. Let's just get out of here. We got fifteen thousand dollars. We can buy another umbrella. We gotta go. And gotta go. Gotta go. <laughs> so that fifteen thousand dollars opened their first uh, store in Brooklyn, and then they moved um, Golf Jewelers to Staten Island from there um, in the seventies. And and now this is. Third generation. So my brother-in-law now runs the store in Staten Island. And um, and that's where the engagement, my custom engagement ring and my custom wedding band come from. Um, and I think every piece of jewelry that I have on right now. Um, <laughs> so, and, you know, so, so many years later, it's still, you know, it's still helping the family. It's bringing them to this, you know, to this place as a family from my father-in-law working for this, you know, running the store before then giving it to his son. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you start a business, I mean, this is the point you were trying to make is like when you start a business, it's not just for you. This is an opportunity for you to have a legacy that you can leave for your whole family. And back in world at the end of World War II, um, almost 50 percent of the veterans that came back started their own business. And now of those that are, you know, every year of the quarter million that leave uh, the military, 25% want to start a business, but only four and a half percent actually do. So that's a big gap, not only in the want to and actually do, but also in the not knowing that this is a potential opportunity for them. So in looking at the numbers, we're saying almost a quarter million people get out of the military every year. And only 4% of them go into business for themselves? That's right. Oh, and, and That's the, ridiculously low. It is ridiculously low. And the tragedy of it isn't even just like the first order tra- tragedy of it, but it's the second and third order of the legacy and the family wealth that they can build and opportunity they can build for their family. But also veterans, um, entrepreneurs are 30% more likely to hire other military veterans and military spouses than their non-veteran counterparts. And I think this number is incredibly underreported, but this is the statistic we have to work with. Sure, sure. And, um, and they are also more likely to give back to their community, whether it's their geographic community or their military community. So, you know, we are losing this second and third order effect of veterans owning their own businesses. Mm. Now, before we get into some of the secrets that you'll unlock into how to find the capital to start your own business and the training you'll need to run your own business, um, What's holding them back, do you think? Uh, We see so much of America, you know, Walmart America, Amazon America, it's giant corporations. Um, What's holding them back? Why aren't more veterans getting out and saying, you know what, Uh, I'll go become a plumber. I will go start this business in my hometown. Sure. 
So there's been um, a decent amount of research done around this. So uh, two of the biggest challenges um, that the research has shown is a lack of ecosystem and network, you know, not knowing, you know, while they were deployed or in the military, kind of not having that same experience of interning for a job or, you know, the, you know, the group of people that you get to meet and become mentors with throughout your career, you know, from even high school through, right? Right. Um, so that's number one. And then number two is access to capital. And, um, you know, we're really excited to work with organizations, um, you know, some very intimately uh, that focus on that ecosystem and that network. And, you know, organizations like Bunker Labs, uh, Patriot Bootcamp, um, even Team RWB, uh, Team Rubicon. They're great about bringing that ecosystem and that network together, um, whether it's specifically for entrepreneurship or just bringing that veteran group together. And so what we're focusing on at PenFed Foundation as part of the PenFed Credit Union is the other side of the coin, which is the access to capital. And, you know, focusing on how um, to kind of demystify this, this, this crazy thing of like, I want to start a business. Where do I even start? You know, I, I've written my business plan. You know, hopefully you've gotten through your financials. Um, you know, one, one of the big indicators that you're taking an idea from a hobby to a business is when you sit down and you, with that ugly Excel spreadsheet and you crunch out numbers, even if they don't look perfect, as soon as you start putting those numbers down is when your idea starts to go into business land um, and out of hobby area. Um, and and then it's saying, OK, well, I need this much money to get started. What does that look like? You know, do I go ask my friends? Do I go ask my family? Do I max out every credit card? Do I you know, do I go out for a bank loan? Is there SBA products? Does the VA have a program for me? Um, what other resources? And, you know, and that's where the PenFed Foundation and our Veteran Entrepreneur Investment Program comes in to not only help with the money aspect of it, but also help navigate through this kind of unknown terrain. Now, I know if you're sitting there going, I have a business idea and I know it would work. I just need the funds to do it with. Well, good news. In our next segment, we're going to talk about just that. This isn't a ploy to pitch a book. This isn't a DVD set you need to buy. This is 100% real, useful advice when it comes to starting a veteran-owned business. Straight from the Director of Veteran Entrepreneurship at PenFed Credit Union, Seda Goff. We, we like to say we like to put our money where our mouth is. So here in the investment portion, we invest in uh, early stage companies or early stage startups. That's up next on CBS Eye on Veterans. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs, and I told you we're going to change your life this hour. All right, before the end of this hour, we're going to help you realize that dream of starting your own business. And realizing that dream means you got to start down the path. You got to start down the path of doing the work and figuring out what that hobby is of yours that you just might think would be an excellent business. And I'm lucky enough as a journalist to be able to meet people that make dreams like this happen and hear from PenFed Credit Union, Seda Goff, the Director of Veteran Entrepreneurship. Seda, how are you? Good, thank you. Ha thank you for having me. 
Well, full disclosure, as a guy with a few entrepreneurial dreams of my own, I was really looking forward to this interview. Could not wait to talk about it. And uh, let's dive in. Okay. Starting your own business at PenFed Credit Union, there is the PenFed Foundation. Tell me about it. So, our major goal is the financial wellness and opportunity for future financial success of our military veterans, active duty, and their communities. All right. All right. Great sounding program. Let me start with like a real world example. Uh, People think I got this great idea for this business. I've been making these widgets in my basement. I'm selling them like crazy on eBay, but how the heck do I scale this to get to be a business? So let's start with the veteran entrepreneur investment program. Tell me about that. Sure. It's a program that helps tackle this challenge of access to capital. And we do that through kind of three pillars of work. One is educate second is prepare, and then the third is invest. And what the educate portion looks like is we do pop-up labs around the country where we bring content to those folks that are, you know, have their business in their basement and are looking to bring it to the next level. So we do topics from Startup Financials 101 to how to present your business to investors to even answering the question, so what do you do? Which is the number one pitch you will use your whole life, whether it's at you know, the sidelines of a soccer game or at a business networking event. Um, And then from there, we work to help prepare those companies that have seen traction in their business by they are selling like hotcakes. They have shown that their customers are clamoring for them to sell more. Um, And we help prepare them for investment, help prepare them to access capital through our master's program that actually just opened um, their applications for upcoming cohorts. So we're really excited about that. Um, and and in it, we, you know, we basically cr- help you create all the due diligence. And what due diligence is, is everything from your accounting to your finance to your legal, getting every all your ducks in a row so that access to capital is easier. We're demystifying all the steps that you have to go through to be the to be able to access capital. And then finally, uh, we also do invest. We, we like to say we like to put our money where our mouth is okay, uh, okay. as well. So um, here in the investment portion, we invest in uh, early stage companies or early stage startups. And these are kind of the more traditional companies that you would see, um, you know, what you see on Shark Tank or, you know, those type of companies. Uh, but we work with companies of all different shapes and sizes through these different elements of educate, prepare and invest. Because Shark Tank, like you'd said in the article I read, uh, it's a little intimidating because exactly. these are people that have usually been in business for quite some time. They have sales of, you know, fifty to five hundred thousand dollars. And then, of course, you know, the experts are like, well, we'll get 30 percent if we can scale that up to two million. And if you're a, if you're a transitioning veteran and you've got a small business idea, you might have zero in sales. This might be a dream at this point, but you guys will work with them from the beginning conception all the way through the evolution of getting ready to go to a bank and getting ready to scale to begin the business process. That's phenomenal. Um, Let's talk about a couple other things. Women entrepreneurs, I know that that's a category that we wanted to cover because um, it's a void in the market. Share with me a little bit more about women entrepreneurship. Sure, absolutely. So um, female entrepreneurship in general uh, in the last six to 10 years has gone up 45%. That is five times more than the national average. Female veteran entrepreneurship in that same amount of time has gone up 295 percent with over 300,000 businesses in the United States. And in that same amount of time of all the investment capital that's been deployed, only two percent has gone to women, period. 
So here's an opportunity, again, with that same demystification, access to capital, mentorship, uh, getting them in front of businesses or getting them in front of investors and banks, showing how amazing these companies are. And there's an example on your website, too. Um, and I forget her name, but Honest Yoga out of Northern Virginia uh, started as, I believe, an Air Force veteran with just a single yoga studio. Probably even just started as just giving yoga. Or In just, her basement. Just doing yoga for people. Yes. And now she's up to... She's up to four units. They're, they have our grand opening in San Antonio uh, in about a week and a half, actually. And they're opening two more units. They have three units here in the Northern Virginia area opening two more. And they, like I said, are opening their first unit in San Antonio and opening two more in San Antonio uh, by the beginning of next year. So they're wow. growing like gangbusters. Um, and she actually, you know, we talk about the basement. She actually did start her yoga studio in her basement because she couldn't find anybody to help her finance her getting her first brick and mortar location. Um, and then somebody finally took a chance on her to, after they saw revenue coming through her basement. And yeah, um, yeah. and then now she's, you know, she's growing. They're even putting together an app so that you can do yoga with their instructors uh, from your own basement if you want to as well. <laughs> that's awesome. Again, that's all through the Veteran Entrepreneur Investment Program with the PenFed Foundation as part of PenFed Credit Union. Uh, last thing I wanted to ask about uh, before we run out of time is that where you live may actually affect the likelihood of success. And this is just surprising in so many ways, because I think a lot of us try to look at our own hometown and we end up shooting holes in our own boat. Well, this won't work here. Well, somebody's already doing that. Or I, there's not enough people here. Or this town's too big. I, I, maybe I can't swim in the deep end of the pool with all the people. Where are some of the great places that are surprising for us to start businesses? You're 100% right. So we actually, in November of last year, uh, released a report of the top cities for veteran entrepreneurs in the U.S. Um, in partnership with Edelman Intelligence. And number one was New York and the New York area. And, you know, you were saying, I don't think I could ever start a business in New York City and and in kind of the area around New York. But um, first off, Murray Goff did. So that worked out well for me and my beautiful <laughs> engagement ring. But number two is, you know, there's a lot of resources there. You know, you have a very strong Department of Veteran Services there um, run by James Hendon and who also built the Veteran Futures Lab out of NYU. So there's there's a lot of great resources um, in those areas. And some of the other cities uh, include Seattle, Chicago, D.C., uh, but also Philadelphia, Columbus, um, mm. Cleveland, and those areas too. Uh, so uh, even you don't have to also be in a big city to have the resources and the support to be able to start a business. And I think that we've lost that in corporate America. I think so many people look at, you know, I'll just go get a degree and I'll go work for some massive company in the big city wearing fancy shoes and, you know, a nice tie. It doesn't have to be that way. Starting your own business and it doesn't have to be a mystery. And it's things like the Veteran Entrepreneur Investment Program uh, that I'm really pleased to share. So uh, where do I learn more about it? So visit us at penfedfoundation.org, P-E-N-F-E-D foundation.org, and click on the Veteran Entrepreneur Investment Program and come check us out. Very cool. Say to golf. This is uh, we're we're gonna do this again because I got a million business questions, and I think we can do another episode with some more details next. Sounds good. Can't wait. Now, if you're a veteran entrepreneur that's looking for more resources for business, or you just want to hear more episodes of this show, you can find it at connectingvets.com. Until next time, I'm Phil Briggs, and I'll be looking for great stories from our great American veterans. 
Eye on Veterans Weekend has been presented by University of Maryland Global Campus. Choose from 90-plus programs and specializations to accelerate your military or civilian career and find out how our dedicated military and veteran advisors can help you navigate your benefits to save you time and money. University of Maryland Global Campus. Find out how we're made for you. Visit umgc.edu. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura, no murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us in Pura. Promised to keep you safe. I killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pure. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery+. Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.